Good morning, listeners, and I hope today finds you well. My name is Wilson McCoy with the College Hills Church of Christ here in Lebanon, Tennessee, and I want to say a big thank you for listening in on this weekly radio broadcast. This broadcast is one of several opportunities that our church is currently offering as ways for you to stay connected or get connected with our congregation. If you are interested in finding out a little bit more about us, then I would highly encourage you to go to collegehills.org where you can find out more about our congregation, meeting times, ministry opportunities, and hopefully you can get a small glimpse, a small snapshot into who we are, and we would always love to have you come visit us and join us at 1401 Leeville Pike. The new year is always a great time, an ideal time for people to recommit to priorities in their life. And if you are looking for a place where you can reprioritize faith and a family of faith, then we would love for you to check us out and come and visit us if and when you can. Also know that this weekly radio broadcast is offered in the form of a podcast each week at the beginning of the week. And if you are interested in subscribing and receiving that weekly podcast, you can go to your local iTunes account or wherever you happen to listen to podcasts. Search for College Hills Church. You can subscribe there. And the beginning of every week, you can not just get our weekly radio sermon, but also our weekly pulpit sermon. A couple of resources to encourage you and equip you as you begin the week. Speaking of beginnings, we are at the beginning of a new year, and so happy new year, and I hope that you had a wonderful celebration whenever and wherever you were able to celebrate this new year. And in light of this beginning, in light of this new year, today what I want to do is I want to focus on one of my favorite passages in all of Scripture that I think is an important new word for us in this new year. And so today we're going to be looking at Matthew chapter 5, verses 1 through 12. Matthew 5, 1 through 12. As we think about this idea of having a new word for a new year. Now, when Jesus saw the crowds, he went up on a mountainside and sat down. His disciples came to him and he began to teach them. He said, Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are those who mourn, for they will be comforted. Blessed are the meek, for they will inherit the earth. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they will be filled. Blessed are the merciful, for they will be shown mercy. Blessed are the pure in heart, for they will see God. Blessed are the peacemakers, for they will be called children of God. Blessed are those who are persecuted because of righteousness, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are you when people insult you, persecute you, and falsely say all kinds of evil against you because of me. 
Rejoice and be glad, because great is your reward in heaven. For in the same way, they persecuted the prophets who were before you. Dear God, thank you so much for this new day and this new week. I pray that as we begin this new week and as we begin this new sermon series, that you would give me the gift of preaching and teaching, and that you would pour through me a word that is true to who you are and who you're calling us to be. I pray that you would give us all the gift of open hearts, that we would hear your voice, and that we would be transformed by it more into the image of your Son, Jesus. And it's in his name that we pray. Amen. A few weeks ago, there was an article released that's released every year around the end of the year, and it is Merriam-Webster's Word of the Year. This well-known dictionary every year will release a word for the year, one word that they feel like sums up the year that we had just had. Now, in light of 2020 being the year that it was, there were a variety of words that could have been appropriate to describe 2020, and I'm sure that you could think of some words that you would use to describe 2020, but the word that they picked was the word pandemic. Pandemic was their word of the year, and appropriately so. I was hoping for the word unprecedented because I feel like I heard that word as much as I heard the word pandemic, but nevertheless, Pandemic is the word that won out for Merriam-Webster's Dictionary's Word of the Year. And as I was reading that article, I did some exploring online about some other articles related to this idea of a word of the year. And what I found out is that it's not just this well-known famous dictionary that releases a word of the year to describe the previous year but a practice that a lot of people have looks ahead to the year before them and they pick a word of the year as kind of an aim, as a kind of orientation point to guide them into the new year. And so one way to think about word of the year is to think of it in the past sense. What word would describe the year that I have just had But I like the second way to understand the word of the year better. Looking ahead and finding a word that can serve as a goal, an aspiration, an orientation point for the kind of year that you want to have. And the reason why I begin here with this notion of a word of the year is, one, I think that would be a good exercise for you to think about this week. What would you want to be your word for the year? What would be the thing that you would want to focus on in 2021? And the second reason I bring up this article and bring up this notion of a word of the year is because if I were to describe what's happening in our passage in Matthew 5 this morning, I would say that what Jesus is doing is giving his listeners and his hearers a word, not just for their year, but also 
for their lives. And in order to understand this word that he gives them and this word that he gives us this morning, it's important for us to have some understanding about who these listeners likely were. Because the people that Jesus addresses in our text this morning are desperately in need of a new word. The society in the time of Jesus is what some have called a ladder society, L-A-D-D-E-R, society. In other words, things like your ethnicity, your economic status, your gender and education determined where you resided on the ladder of society. And so the higher you were on that ladder meant more honor for you. And the lower you were on that ladder meant more shame for you. It was an honor and shame society. This ladder-like landscape played out socially in that if you were at the bottom, then you needed to be connected to the top somehow. And the ladder-like landscape played out religiously in that your access to the temple, the place where God resided, was in direct relationship to your place on the ladder. The point was to be at the top, to be on the inside. But in reality, the majority of the people in Jesus' day were at the bottom and were on the outside. There's a game that I played growing up that was creatively called Pile On. Now, the reason why I say it was creatively named is because the title basically explains the game in a nutshell. There would be a group of friends who would get together and there would be a blanket of some kind and somebody would get picked and then everyone else would pile on to them. And so you would pick the person and whoever lost would then get the blanket thrown on them and everybody would pile on to them. Again, not the most creatively named game and not the most exciting game, but when you're a five-year-old, it's a pretty fun game. And I remember the one time that I actually got picked to be piled onto. And the reason why I remember it so well is because it was terrifying. I got picked for whatever reason, and then the next thing I knew, I had a blanket on top of me. And all of a sudden, I could feel the weight of my so-called friends piling on top of me, pressing on my legs and my shoulders and my head. Now, thankfully, there weren't too many of our friends playing, so this pressure and this weight didn't feel too intense or overly significant. But, but I still remember that feeling, being in the dark, And having the pressure and the weight of people around me now on top of me. Now, imagine for a second what it must have been like to not just be there for a second in a game, but to live with that feeling. That would be an appropriate way to describe the majority of the people in Jesus' day They were insignificant. They were disposable. They were the religiously unqualified. They were at the bottom. 
Imagine that. You were the insignificant one. You were the disposable one. You were the religiously unqualified. You were the carpenter who labored all day just to keep your connections to the top. You were the woman with limited access to the temple and to God because of your gender. You were the unclean beggar who remained on the edge of the temple because of your illness. And if you trudged through life in this bottom place, in this place of darkness, in this place of pressure on top of you, this weight on your shoulders, then words like broken, powerless, helpless, and darkness would have been words very familiar to you. They would have defined you. And because of this reality, for the majority, Matthew describes the ministry of Jesus in Matthew 4 by quoting Isaiah, who describes people as sitting in darkness and in the shadow of of death. And the reason why he describes the landscape upon which Jesus enters in Matthew 4 is because that's where the majority of people found themselves. And over the next few verses leading up to chapter 5, Matthew will tell us more about these crowds who followed Jesus, this majority who followed Jesus, fishermen, sick people, afflicted people, demon-possessed people. These were people at the bottom. These were people who had words define them like broken, powerless, helpless. And because of that reality, these individuals desperately needed a new word. And the more I reflected on these people this past week, this society in which Jesus found himself, I couldn't help but think of our society today. I couldn't help but think of many of us because for so many of us, as we start this new year, we find ourselves in a similar place. People who are in need of a new word. As I said earlier, 2020 was a a difficult year. 2020 was not the year that any of us expected. I can still remember a year ago where I was on January 1st, 2020. And if you would have told me the year that we were about to have, I would not have believed you. And if you would have described to me some of the words of experiences that I would have over the next year, I would not have believed you. Some words have creeped into our world that have defined us in ways that are difficult. We feel stress. We feel anxiety. For some of us, the word is anxious. For some of us, the word is depressed. For some of us, the word is jobless. For some of us, the word is broken. There are these words that a year ago we never would have thought would describe our predicament today. And yet for so many of us, 
because of that difficult year that we've had, we, we need a new word. We desire a new way to view ourselves. And for that very reason, I think it is so important to hear these words of Jesus in Matthew 5. Because Jesus looks out over these crowds who have been pushed down and pushed out. Some of them are broken because of the weight of living at the bottom of the ladder. Some of them are filled with uncertainty because they're still trying to figure out who Jesus is. Some of them are filled with disease and pain and hurt and feeling a sense of distance from God. And the thing that some of them were feeling then are the very same things that we are feeling today. And to all of these people, people then and people now, the first word out of Jesus' mouth is the word blessed. Now, up to this point in Matthew's gospel, Jesus has not said very much. In fact, since chapter 4, when his ministry began, outside of calling the first disciples, Jesus is only quoted or referenced as speaking twice. And in both of those instances, the core of his message is the kingdom of God, the good news of the kingdom. More specifically, his message is the good news that God's reign and rule are near. Because when you were talking about a kingdom, you were talking about a reign and a rule. And what he is saying in these two short references at the beginning of Matthew's gospel is that this good news is that God's life, life with God, life under and in the reign and rule of God is now available to all people. And then we get to chapter 5, and we enter into this three-chapter Sermon on the Mount. What many people have pointed out is that this sermon is to be heard as Jesus' expansion on this good news that God's reign and rule are available. The Sermon on the Mount describes for us what a life lived with God looks like. The Sermon on the Mount is what a life committed to God's reign, rule, and kingdom looks like. The Sermon on the Mount is what a good news life looks like. And it is a sermon of good news that starts with blessing. Now, I think it's important to note how Jesus does not begin his sermon Jesus does not begin his sermon of good news with a scolding or heaping a bunch of shame on these people. Jesus does not begin his sermon of good news by heaping more insults and labels on these people. Jesus does not begin his sermon of good news by offering a to-do list for the people to perform. So often we misread these Beatitudes as a kind of to-do list of things that we need to do in order to be blessed. But that reading gets the order wrong. So often we want to put the to-do before the blessing. And so we end up taking this list that we know as the Beatitudes and we create a bunch of if clauses 
that people have to perform before they can receive the blessing of God. If you do this, then you'll receive the blessing of God. But that cannot be good news because it's all about what we perform and not receive. It's something that we attain, not something that's given to us. That's a wrong way to read this passage. The word if can never be the first word of good news. Instead, Jesus follows a different order. His first word is a word of blessing, right where they are. His new word is a word of blessing from God right where they find themselves. Jesus makes a divine drenched proclamation into their life. Jesus invokes all the good that God intends for humanity directly into their life. Jesus says to them that the very life of God is available to them right where they are. Jesus speaks a new word to these people that they have never heard before. Blessing. He lets them know, and He lets us know, that God is right there with them in the middle of their situation. He is taking everything that they had been taught about honor and shame, and He is flipping it on its head and offering a radically different view of the world. Jesus speaks a new word that is scandalous word in their world because He tells them that they are no longer at the bottom of the ladder because in the kingdom of God, there is no ladder. God's kingdom is open and available to all people regardless of where they are. The life of God is now near and in their midst, and they can be a part of it. Jesus here speaks a word of blessing to people desperately in need of a new word. And it is a word He still speaks to us today for all of us who are in need of a new word for a new year. Like many of you probably have done over the last couple of weeks, I've been thinking a lot about New Year's resolutions recently. And I know that when you talk about New Year's resolutions, there's a lot of people who are indifferent or cynical and just don't bother. But I also know that there are probably a lot of people who take this time of year as an opportunity. And whichever of these groups you fall into, I think that both of these groups can fall victim to the same lie. And that is simply the lie that you are not enough not worthy, or outside of the reach of God. And for the first group, your indifference and cynicism is not as much about resolutions as it is about you. You just are the person you are, and you hope that God can tolerate someone like you with all of your quirks and rough edges. But deep down, you wonder if God just tolerates you. That notion that God blesses you seems maybe far-fetched or not possible. 
And for the second group, often buried beneath that desire to make a change or resolution in your life is the feeling that who you are is now not really loved by God. You've been maybe told your whole life that you need to be a certain way, perform a certain list before you're worthy. You think that the only way to receive the blessing of God is to try to earn it by becoming some other kind of person. Or you may not fit into either of those categories, but regardless, you can still sometimes wonder and question and doubt if the reign and rule of God, the presence of God, can reach even you. There's an author by the name of Dallas Willard who has helped me to understand this passage in Matthew 5 so well. And he says in his book, The Divine Conspiracy, that Jesus intentionally picks out titles and descriptions of people who would have been considered the least in his society, and he elevates them to the highest place. And he says that he does that to make this profound point then and now. And that is, in Jesus' day, if the people who were considered the worst of the worst, the lowest of the low, the outsiders to the outside, if God's blessing can reach even them, then of course it can reach all of us. And so whatever category we find ourselves in today, Jesus sits down, He turns to us, He looks us directly in the eye and says, you have God's favor. You have God's blessing. You have the presence of God with you. God's life is available to you right now. It doesn't matter if you feel like you're at your wit's end. It doesn't matter if you made mistakes on New Year's Eve and every day since then. It doesn't matter if you're still working through anger issues or still fighting greed. It doesn't matter if you're not convinced that God is active or even exists. It doesn't matter if you're poor or broken or grieving or tired. It doesn't matter if you don't have your life or your family all together. It doesn't matter if You've worked your fingers to the bone trying to earn salvation. It doesn't matter if you're still trying to live as though God's kingdom has a ladder. It doesn't matter if you've been thrown out of the boat more times than you can count. God is still with you. God still meets you in that place. You are blessed. You have God's favor. I want to close with a quote from a blogger who wrote a post several years ago on this word, blessing. And this lady by the name of Jamie writes this, the blessing of God is that He is with us. God's blessing is not beyond the reach of the poor, nor is it dependent upon the generosity of the rich. It has not been withheld from the sick, and it has not departed from the lost or the hurting. In fact, it may be the only good and fair thing that exists in this world. 
an equal share granted to all, no matter our circumstance, no matter our sickness, no matter our sin. We are each the recipient of God's full and undivided attention, His blessing, for He is with us, every last one of us. That is good news. That is a good word, and it is a word for all of us this year. Amen.